Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Um, this is going to be a Packers-free zone. Tough game. I, you know, the one overriding thought that I had watching that game yesterday was what an incredible player Aaron Rodgers is. And if you look back over the Packers over the last 10 or 12 years, I, I want to look at the big picture. You know, it's really going to turn out to be a disgrace that given how special a player Aaron Rodgers was, he, he's only going to have been to the Super Bowl one or two or you know how, how many how many years does he have left but you look at all the opportunities and yet the packers have had one failed general manager after another who hasn't surrounded rogers with enough talent to get to the super bowls i mean it's just a frustrating mixed opportunity and i was just i was watching aaron Rodgers at the end of that game you get the ball on your own five yard line with a minute left and you drive down and almost they had a chance to win the game in regulation then of course that they go on and they blow it and you know that ends up happening but how many times has this happened where again you've got this great player arguably the best quarterback maybe in football history or at least one of the top three or four and you've only been to the super bowl once and maybe they'll get back but maybe not so incredibly frustrating for us packers fans and just missed opportunities hey if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 a number of tweets getting quite a bit of traction in the one o'clock hour of this program we're going to have some really tough love and i'm just telling you that up front some of you might not like what you're going to hear from me but it needs to be said um i just sent out a tweet a little while ago though it's remember a couple weeks ago you had this the story involving jeffrey tubin who was the writer for uh the uh, New Yorker magazine and a commentator on CNN, and, and he was the guy who thought it was a good idea while he's on a Zoom call thinking that he's not on camera to, well, pleasure himself. And then it turns out that he's, he's on camera. Of course, the bizarre thing was, okay, you're, you're at a work meeting. Even if you're sitting at the house, why do you think that that's a good idea? But you knew you hit rock bottom when O.J. Simpson starts mocking you. I mean, really, you know that your life is completely in the dumps when O.J. Simpson is making fun of you. Well, there's another story about that out this morning. Uh, a couple uh, Late last week, a couple people during the show said, Jeff, you're, you're missing the boat. You do not understand the massive voter fraud that was out there. And, and what you really need to do is you need to go back and watch the press conference. I think it was Thursday involving Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell, who is the former federal prosecutor who was, <clears throat> I, I guess, advancing some of these really, really whack job theories about how this was Hugo Chavez who was behind all these things and stuff. So I went back and I watched it. And candidly, I I want that hour of my life back because it was just absolute craziness. Well, anyhow, and I just sent out a tweet. Again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. Apparently, the Trump campaign, Rudy Giuliani, has decided that Sidney Powell the the gal who was the architect of all these sort of like crazy conspiracy theories she's too nuts 
even for some of the claims that the Trump campaign is making. So the Trump's campaign's legal team distancing themselves from Sidney Powell. And as my point is, that it's just kind of like, you know you've hit rock bottom when O.J. Simpson is making fun of you. you. You also know you've hit rock bottom when even Rudy Giuliani thinks you're nuts. And if you want to check out that story again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. It's just, it's just head shaking. All right. Let us get started. Right as the program was ending on Friday, we were starting to get reports that there had been a shooting at Mayfair Mall, a little bit before 3 o'clock in the afternoon, right outside of Macy's. And, of course, this has dominated the, the local news coverage, appropriately so, for the course of the last you know couple days. The, the good news <clears throat> is that there were no fatalities. The bad news is you had eight people shot, seven adults and one minor, I believe a a 17-year-old. The shooter was at large for the better part of a couple days, but he was was arrested um, Saturday night. Uh, There had not, to my knowledge, been formal charges yet, but the shooter has been identified as a 15-year-old boy. A 15-year-old boy, when he was arrested on Saturday, they recovered the, the firearm that they believe was used in the shooting. Um, four innocent bystanders were among those who received uh, treatment, um, and there were several members of these groups that were injured during the altercation. So <clears throat> what happened, and there, again, we'll, we'll have more details, but it sounds like this was a gang thing. And it sounds like this was an altercation that breaks out between gang members and the 15-year-old pulls out a gun and starts shooting. And as frequently happens, some of the people that he's shooting at, who are presumably members of rival gangs or whatever, they end up getting shot. But then again, you have innocent bystanders who are at a shopping mall in Milwaukee County at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and they get shot. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I cannot tell you how many people I spoke to over the weekend, particularly suburban women, who are the lifeblood of shopping malls around here. Look, I mean, I understand guys shop, but let's face it. I mean, shopping is driven by by women. Don't mean to be sexist about it, but, you know, if I get dragged to a shopping mall, that's exactly it. It's not a fun sort of thing for me. Occasionally I will go in and I will buy. But the idea of just walking up and down for an hour and a half at a shopping mall and looking in different stores for things, that's, I mean, to me, that's like going to the dentist and having your teeth drilled without Novocaine. It's just not a pleasant sort of experience. Shopping, particularly the in-person shopping, is driven in large, in large measure by the female shopping experience. I cannot tell you how many people I spoke to over the weekend as the details were emerging about what happened at Mayfair, and the general consensus was, no way I'm going back to Mayfair. No way I'm going back to Mayfair. And admittedly, you can have shootings at at any given time. It it can happen anywhere. Nowhere is safe. But the bottom line is, during the course of the summer, you've had Mayfair Shopping Center, which was closed on multiple occasions when you had some of the social justice protests. You know, you had a couple dozen protesters who would show up and storm inside the mall and scream on bullhorns and take over some of the restaurants that were there and generally try to create an uncomfortable experience for the shoppers. Now you have 
another instance where there is a random shooting. There have been shootings at Mayfair before, but this is the first one where I think you have this many people shot. And again, thankfully no fatalities, but it doesn't change the fact that if you're working at the mall or you're considering to go there and shop, and all of a sudden a gun battle breaks out with a 15-year-old who's the trigger man. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this shooting going to be something that hurts Mayfair Mall significantly moving forward? Now, there weren't, look, there's a lot of issues with Northridge, and we talk about Northridge a lot on this program. Northridge was where I hung out, you know, when I grew up in, in Glendale. Northridge had a lot of issues that really aren't the same as Mayfair, but what started Northridge's decline were, it was, it turned out, false reports that you had a woman that was murdered there. It turned out, you know, her husband actually is the one that killed her. The false reports were that it was a couple teenagers or something that had committed the crime. Well, here at Mayfair, you've got a situation where a 15-year-old presumed gangbanger shows up armed and starts shooting. All right, is this going to impact people going back on the holiday season? 855-616-1620. And I will tell you, again, talking to a lot of people this weekend, that was the general thing. They're not comfortable going back to Mayfair. Would you be? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, I don't know of many incidents involving guns, but there is a, definitely a pattern of problems at Mayfair Mall that have been going on before this one. And I think that for many, they're going to decide that this is it, and they probably are going to be very reluctant to, to go to Mayfair Mall again. Well, you know, you, you say another – I was just looking just this year. <clears throat> of course, remember – like in February, there was the shooting involving Officer Joseph Mensa that we've been talking about. Um, you know, that was a, a kid, 17-year-old, who was fleeing from police on foot with a gun. Um, last month, okay. apparently a victim showed up at a hospital after police said shots were fired at the mall. Three people were shot in that incident. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. This is the first one where you've had that kind of mass shooting, but it's not the first shooting inside the mall. And I, I guess at some point in time you wonder, do people just decide, look, I, I, can, I can buy stuff on Amazon. I, why, why do I need to put myself in the middle of something like this? Yeah, and it reminds me of some of the stuff I witnessed when I used to live by Mayfair Mall, like kids doing vandalism, fights almost breaking out in the movie theater, and even a kid riding a scooter in the mall. And I, I think yeah. of all these things, and I just think, well, why take the risk? I'm just going to shop online. Yeah, thanks for the call, Jeff. Now, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not wishing the end of, of Mayfair, but I, I you know, I, I have historical memory. And, and like I say, what, what happened was there, there was a lot of things that led to the demise of Northridge. But it, it started out with a perception that Northridge was not safe. And what happened then is you had a number of, particularly the suburban women, that are, are the economic engine that, that makes these places successful. They, they just started not coming. And so <clears throat> then what happened is it, it's this, it's this, it's like a circling the drain effect. So you've got the suburban women that stop coming because they perceive it to be unsafe. So then what happens is a lot of the stores that are there that cater to these suburban women, well, they, they, 
they go belly up. And so then, you know, they're replaced or the stores are replaced by less desirable stores or by stores that don't have a broad range of appeal. And it all becomes this kind of vicious cycle. Now, I'm not predicting that for Mayfair, but this is a huge this is a huge deal. When you have a Friday afternoon and at three o'clock in the afternoon, some 15 year old kid in an altercation with others, including some known to him. And, and again, somebody said, well, how, how do you know this was gang-related? Trust me, my guess is when this is all comes out, it'll you're going to find that there was some gang-related activity there, but start shooting indiscriminately. Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, excellent uh, topic, uh, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Marcus. No, I, I, I do not, I, <clears throat> I, I don't believe that 100% at all. This is not the end of Mayfair. What's going to happen is this, uh, which Mayfair has done. They've installed more security measures, and I think that you're going to see where when you walk in, they'll be able to scan if you got a gun or not. I think things are like that are probably coming down the pike, and I think that they're going to have more of a armed security team at the doors where you, you know, at, at the entrances of the doors and, and strictly enforcing the individuals as far as entering the mall. If they see something <laughs> suspect, the mall will... Mall, the mall will have the right to uh, tell those individuals uh, uh, under 18 years of age that you can't be in the mall, and it won't be an issue because you're going to have a stronger security force. So it, it, people have short-term memories. Right now, yes, it looks bad, but but the way the, where the mall is located and people from all around travel to that mall, now if it was in a different area of the city, yeah, I could see it being the end. But at this point, Mayfair Mall is not going to die. What do you think? Okay. Well, Mark, Marcus, work with me for just a second. You're, you're talking about an increased security presence. And I was actually discussing this with somebody over the weekend. Think, now, think about you. You've been to Mayfair, right? You're, you're, you're familiar right. with Mayfair, a right? A million times. A million okay. times. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I've okay. been there a million times. Now, right. it's not like... That it's not like, oh, say, Pfizer Forum, where you've got a, a limited number of entrances. I mean, j- just think of that mall. Think of all the doors that there are to the to the outside. You know, you've got you know you've got a di- you can go into Macy's without having to go Correct. into the mall. You've got all those different things. So I guess my first question Correct. is, wh- what are we going to do? Are we going to shut off ninety percent of those doors and then set up like a couple choke points, like maybe oh, you can only get in two or three times? And you got to go through a metal detector. I mean, is, is that is that practical? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the lines that would be there um, over Christmas if you only had one or two ways in? No, I'm not looking at it that way. I think that you're going to have you're going to have like that's a good uh, security plan. I think that you're going to have like a, a, a number of just main interest points where you can enter them all, go where you have to do until this thing gets under control. Now, uh, in the future, unless they have a security team at X amount of uh, the main hub areas where the kids do get into there, where, where you know, yeah. where, especially, the, 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 well, with the COVID thing, you know, no one's eating up there, so that's resolved. So I think that this is something they can get under control with the manpower, mm-hmm. just saying that these are the four or five main exits that you can get in and out of here, you have to check right. in with, and that's it. Right. Well, thanks, well, thanks. for the call. I mean, I, I, no, I, I, mean, I, I bring this up as, as just kind of the, this reality, because... One of the, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, one of the things with, with shopping is we want it to be convenient. You, you want to be able to run in and, and run out. And, and that's why, and just think of all the doors that are there. It, it's not like you can just, 
okay, if you're going to set up, let's say you're going to set up metal detectors for people to have to go through, which may very well be the case, but you know, you how many different entrances and exits do they have to Mayfair? You you get you would have to to make this work. You would have to. It seems to me shut off most of the doors, um, so you you could only have a couple choke points. Maybe you could go in and out at four different spots, but then I mean, then you're going to have long lines to get in. You're going to have long lines to get out. I'm just saying it. it the logistics are very very difficult. Plus you always have that balancing act that's there, again, with the psyche of shoppers, because you, you, you want to be able, you, you walk into a place and you feel like it's an armed camp. Or, I mean, okay, so now we've got a, a greater security presence. We've got armed security guards all over. We've got people going through metal detectors. At some point in time, folks make the decision and say, hey, look, if, if i got to go through a metal detector, if I've got to do this, I, I'm, I'm not going to shop there. I'm going to I'm going to go find some place out in in the suburbs, and I'm going to go to the Target, or I'm going to go to the Walmart, or I'm going to order the stuff online. I mean, I, I bring this up not to wish Mayfair ill. I, I don't, but these are the types of activities that just absolutely destroy suburban shopping malls, especially given all the other problems that Mayfair has had. Whether it's all the disruptions that you had this summer, I mean, those were scaring off some people who just said, "Look, I." I don't want to be over there shopping, and all of a sudden the place closes down, and I get trapped in some store for 45 minutes because you've got a bunch of yahoos that are wandering through the mall screaming into bullhorns, and everything's got to get closed. Well, now, you know, just in time for the Christmas season, you, you've got a situation where, you know, some 15-year-old shows up with a piece and apparently starts shooting. All right, we're going to continue this for at least one more segment. So if you're on the line, please hold on. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I'm a suburban woman. I was at Mayfair near Williams-Sonoma on Friday afternoon at the time of the shooting. I hadn't been in the mall since COVID. I ran out with many others after hearing the word shooter. Obviously a very scary moment. I've been a Mayfair shopper for 40 years. I will be much less inclined to go back from this point forward. Jeff, why would suburban women come to a mall with heavy security provisions put in place? I will not go back to Mayfair Mall again. Jeff, I just relocated to northeast Wisconsin from Milwaukee after 35 years. It does not only reflect on Mayfair, but Milwaukee as a whole. People in this area think of Milwaukee as the wild, wild West. Jeff, my wife and her friends, 65 to 70 years old, go to Mayfair to shop a couple times a year. No more. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. Kelly in Slinger. Kelly, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Well, Hi, I think Mayfair is in big trouble, and I hate to say that because I grew up in Wauchos, and I was going there as a kid, but it's changed. And I noticed that many, many years ago when they started having these groups of kids that would kind of take over the mall and they just wander around aimlessly and they were shopping and they were blocking escalators right. and, and places where you could walk. And it was at that point where I said, no, this is not what I want. Um, I stopped right. taking my kids there. I'm a suburban mom and stopped taking my kids there. And it's just, I think, like I said, I hate to say it, but I think this is the final nail in the coffin. Where Kelly, where where do you shop mostly? When if you weren't going to go to Mayfair oh, online, yeah. See, that's that, yeah, that's I, the. I did you know, all of my Christmas shopping online, so 
yeah, I, I just, I won't go. I mean, occasionally I'll go to Target and places like that, but I won't go to Mayfair. Yeah, and that's that's about. I mean, I just and it, see it, it breaks my heart too because, like I said, I, when I was growing up, Northridge was a place we went. But I I'm old enough. I mean, I remember remember they used to have that ice skating rink in Mayfair and all, and there was a McDonald's yeah. there, and you know it was really a family type of operation. And and now, even though it's, I mean, I don't want to say you have shootings there every week. You, you know, you you have you have enough instances of of violence and out of control stuff to make people a little bit uncomfortable. And you know, some people, Kelly, are saying, well, if you increase the security presence, why? I I don't know. You, my guess is you don't want to stand in line for fifteen minutes to go through a metal detector just to go in and and try to shop at a store somewhere. People just don't want to do that. No, and and going to your metal detectors and having that kind of security automatically makes you feel unsafe. Like, this is an unsafe yeah. place to be. And the, the, the yeah. sad part is that there are some very, very high-end stores at Mayfair. Nordstrom mm-hmm. is one of them. And, and those places are really, really going to suffer. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the call. No, I appreciate it. Again, I, I, I'm not wishing Mayfair ill. But, I mean, this has been, and I, it's a point I've been making for years on this program, shopping malls are fragile. And, and, you know, we, we've seen that. I mean, when I, when I was a kid growing up, you, you, had, you had Northridge, you had Capitol Court that was, you know, incredibly successful. And, you know, you had a number of, you had, you know, Bayshore. Well, now, you know, they've, they've tried to reinvent Bayshore on a several occasions and things like that. But, but the, these are, are fragile. And all you have to do is people just simply say, well, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I, I don't want to be shopping in a particular store when all of a sudden a gun battle breaks out. And, and again, I, I understand the idea of, okay, we can put up metal detectors and all, but, but shopping malls don't work like, I, I don't know, other places where you can control the entrance. I mean, yeah, Pfizer Forum where you've got one or two main entrances. You can set up a bunch of metal detectors, and you can channel everybody through there. But, but that's Pfizer Forum. It's not, it's not a shopping center where the key is, hey, I, I want to go shop at Mayfair, at Macy's, so I'm, I'm going to pull right out. I'm going to try to find a parking space right outside of Macy's. I'm going to run in. I'm going to go. I'm going to do my shopping, and then I'm going to run out. If, if instead it's we're only going to have three or four entrances, and we're going to have metal detectors, and we're going to have long lines to get in, and um, good luck with that. Let's talk to Roger in Sheboygan. Roger, you're on WTMJ. Hi, hi, hi Jeff. Roger. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, first thing I would do is go to a security agency and hire a dozen uniformed security guards and have have them just walk around and and make their presence known. I, I think mm-hmm. it would it would eliminate the metal detector uh, um, scene and, and it would just make people feel. I mean, put them upstairs, downstairs, the food mark, the food court. Um, but I think the owners would not like that because that would cost money, and they wouldn't reduce their rents or anything. They'd probably assess them all more. <laughs> well, well, Roger, I mean, thanks for the call. Well, it's, it, no, well, I appreciate it, but I guess, I mean, here, here, here is, okay, here, here is the thing. It's, look, I, I understand you go to an airport. And nowadays, if you're if you're going through an airport, we have accepted the fact that you're going to see a security presence. I mean, I was at the airport a couple weeks ago, and you know there there were all sorts of security guards there, and they had the uh, bomb sniffing dogs and things like that. You know, you expect nowadays a, a 
a security presence at airports. You don't necessarily expect that at, at, a, at a shopping mall. And, and so it's a delicate sort of thing. You want to assure, I get it, that people are going to be safe. You want people to feel safe. But at the same time, you, you, you don't want necessarily people to be sitting there saying, okay, why, why do we need this huge security presence that, that's there in an effort to uh, deter stuff? Jeff, you could beef up non-uniform armed security in the mall a bit, but there's no way visual armed presence would work. Jeff, it might not make sense, but any place with metal detectors is inherently safer to be in, although in my eyes, any place with metal detectors pushes me away because it obviously isn't safe enough to be in or else... They wouldn't need it. Um, you know, you got that. Um, Jeff, why would suburban women come to a mall with heavy security problems in the first place? I will not go back to Mayfair Mall uh, again. Um, Jeff, malls will become a thing of the past. It's only a matter of time before businesses end up starting to, you know, <clears throat> leave. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's an ongoing issue that that's going on there and and the question becomes you know how do you you deal with this whole thing jeff this shooting which exemplifies increased lawlessness along with covid and internet sales sure doesn't encourage me to mall shop well that's i mean that's the other aspect that, that's there I mean, you look at all the challenges that brick-and-mortar retailers have to begin with. You, you've got the challenge of the Internet. And so then, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic where people are reluctant to go out to begin with. So you've got that going on, and then you throw in the thing that, gee, you're there at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and some 15-year-old has a pistol and starts shooting, or has a handgun of some sort and starts shooting. I mean, for... You, you put all those together, and it's not exactly something that inspires you to want to go get into one of these situations. And my guess is that for the people that were there Friday who had to shelter in place or like one of our listeners who just heard the word shooter and starts to flee, my guess is it's going to be a long time before they go back to Mayfair. Now, I, I look, I hope they're able to figure this out because I, I don't wish Mayfair ill. But this has been a problem that's been going on for a while, and now it's really, really, really come to a head. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the answer is, but they got to figure it out, or Mayfair Mall goes the way of Northridge, it goes the way of Capitol Court, it goes the way of so many other stores. And keep in mind, Mayfair right now is the only is one of the only malls around here that's not in bankruptcy. You've got Brookfield Square, which is the, the owners of that are taking it into bankruptcy. You've got Southridge, where the, the owners gave it back to the bank to avoid foreclosure because they couldn't make a go of it. I mean, the list they're, they're trying to revamp Bayshore Town Center. Well, maybe that'll work. Maybe it won't. But Bayshore Town Center, from a retail perspective, is a fraction of what it was. I mean, these are tough times for retail developments to begin with, and shootings at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon do not make it any easier back with more in just a minute this is Jeff Wagner welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ Uh, Jeff, I've lived in Milwaukee for a number of years and enjoy going back there to shop. I lived in Wauwatosa and always felt that area safe. I find it sad that we would give up the whole mall experience and put people out of jobs because the, that shouldn't have gun, the people that shouldn't have had guns have guns, and we don't want to go through metal detectors to stop them. Okay, well, and look, maybe people won't care about this, but again, shopping malls, with all the different entrances, I mean, you, as a practical matter, you're not going to have 
a metal detector, if that's the way you decide to go, you're, you're not going to have a security presence at every one of the tens, if not hundreds, of, of doors that you have getting into and out of Mayfair. The only way that you could make something like that work is to essentially close off all the doors and pick three or four entrance points. And, and then, yes, then you could have metal detectors that are there, and, and that's all well and good. But again, keep in mind you're talking about a busy shopping mall. So imagine the Christmas holiday season. Now, this might be a different Christmas shopping season, but just, just imagine. Let's say you've got four entrances that have security guards that are there, metal detectors, etc. Everybody lined up to get in. I mean, have, have you have you have you gone to the Milwaukee County Courthouse anytime you know soon? I mean, you've got these long lines that that extend 15, 20 minutes sometime to get past the metal detectors. Okay, th- that's all well and good. All I'm saying is that if you try to do something like that, a lot of people are just going to simply say, I'm not waiting in line, I'm not standing outside for 15 minutes in December in Wauwatosa in the snow or the freezing rain or the cold just to be able to go through a metal detector to get inside. I just don't see people doing that as a practical um, you know, matter. Um, let's see. Uh, Jeff, my family and I rarely go to Mayfair and have never been there at night. Brookfield Square is becoming the same way for us. Jeff, I live in Tosa. The only time I go to Mayfair is around 9 a.m. as I enjoy walking and there's nobody around. Um, Jeff, remember Jesse Anderson and Northridge? Um, I, I won't go there. That would be Mayfair. Three years ago, there were groups of teenagers running in in the mall. And again, that's, you know, Northridge got the reputation as being dangerous. And again, it, it was a perception, not a reality. And of course, it all traces back to that Jesse Anderson guy who um, he killed his wife and then blamed it on a couple teenagers, um, persons of color, as a matter of fact. And, and but that that started off this perception that Northridge was was dangerous. You know, Mayfair. These are the issues that Mayfair is dealing with. And the question is going to be, how well can they adjust to these moving forward? But it's a tough time to be in a brick-and-mortar retail shopper. And what happened on Friday did not help. Just like the social justice protests that occurred over the course of the week of the course of the last several months didn't help. Just like a lot of the other misconduct that's been engaged in by juveniles out there hasn't helped either. Hey, Melissa Barkley and WTMJ are teaming up with the Hunger Task Force to help make a difference for families in need this holiday season. We're also having a little fun along the way. Our, our Pass the Turkey contest ends tomorrow, and it's been incredibly successful. Everybody's competing to see who can help donate the most Thanksgiving turkeys to families in need. It's WTMJ Cares, Pass the Turkey. Go to WTMJ.com to donate. Matter of fact, a uh, guy I know, my friend Mike from Another Life, he uh, was going to donate 150 turkeys today to, to my show. So that's cool. If you haven't done it yet, you've got you know another day to do it. But the purpose of this is we want to make Thanksgiving a little bit brighter for people in need. So go to WTMJ Cares, um, WTMJ.com. You can donate. Don't forget to pick your favorite WTMJ show, WTMJ Cares, powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. And and, and by the way, of course, we we spent the, the first couple segments of the program talking about the, the craziness that happened at Mayfair on Friday afternoon, it, it wasn't, that wasn't all the craziness that went on in Milwaukee on, on Friday because 
while they were involved in trying to identify and catch the, the shooter who was involved with the Mayfair situation, you had a, another event about, what, about 9 o'clock at night. You had the, the interstate, Interstate 894, um, closed down, essentially, um, from Oklahoma Avenue because of reports of a shots-fired investigation. Now, I think a lot of people, initially, when, when they heard this report, thought, okay, is what's going on now, that the shooting on the freeway, is this something that has anything to do with uh, Mayfair? And, and, of course, it, it didn't. This is just another example of the, the wild, wild west and the out-of-control violence that's here. Apparently, what, what had happened is you had uh, a, a bunch of jack wagons in, in a car that ended up being involved in a shooting on the freeway. And what happens is there's a high-speed chase as authorities try to catch them. They end up um, heading into New Berlin near Beloit and Moreland Roads. And what happens is I guess the, the people that are in the car end up bailing on the car. I think they set the vehicle on fire. Uh, they ended up shooting at police officers and then fleeing. Now, the good news is they got caught as well. But I remember watching all this stuff as it was playing out in real time on Friday afternoon, and I'm thinking, <clears throat> what's going on around here where you know, you've got Wauwatosa, where you've got the, the shootings at, at Mayfair and the suspects at large. You've got the freeway closed down out in New Berlin. You've got apparently a bunch of people that are involved in shooting at police officers and then trying to flee on foot. Now, ultimately, they were all arrested, but... I'm watching all this, and again, the, the operative thing that I keep thinking of is, explain to me again why anybody wants to be a police officer. I, I mean, seriously, explain to me why you, you want to go to work and say, gee, what, what's going on here? Oh, I'm going to get in a situation where I'm going to be out on the freeway, and all of a sudden, you know, some jokers are going to be driving by, and they're going to try to flee from us because God knows what they've done, and then they're going to get into a shootout with us. And, of course, you also know as the police officer that, you know, your behavior is always going to be second and third guessed by some people who are going to view you as an occupying force or view you as somebody who, who's evil. And, and you, just, you just look at this, not to mention, again, over the weekend, that the other homicides that broke out, the other assaults, the other shootings, it's just at some point in time you do wonder how we're going to be able to get control of this, especially when you have some of our elected officials who've decided that what they want to do is they want to, if not defund the police, they want to cut the number of police officers that we have on the streets. Well, explain to me how that makes the communities any safer at all. And the answer is, it doesn't. All right. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to have what I'm describing as a tough love segment here because there's things that need to be said and you, you can agree with me or you can disagree with me but the bottom line is a lot of the stuff that is going on in Milwaukee County and in Dane County right now is counterproductive it's bordering on craziness and and it's, it's time for Adult Swim it's time for the grown-ups to step up and say look this is not how we're going to run elections moving forward and this idea that we're going to do nothing but try to obstruct results, to try to 
I don't know, change their outcome of an election, that we have absolutely no realistic chance of doing that. It's time to have some honest conversations. And I know some people don't want to hear that. Believe me, I've heard from you. I, I understand that there's some people who say if, if you if you don't want to object to every ballot that was cast, you are nothing but a Republican in name only. Go work for MSNBC. Well, no, at some point in time, I, I think people of goodwill, common sense, need to come together and understand where we are in a process. And we're way past that point. Tough love coming up in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Don't go anywhere. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Time for some tough love. I want to create a scenario. Imagine it's two years in the future. It's it's November of 2022. And... Tony Evers has run for re-election and has lost a very, very close race by, let's say, about 21,000 votes. And maybe he's been defeated by former Lieutenant Governor Rebecca Clayfish or Waukesha County Executive Paul Farrow or former federal prosecutor and former WTMJ talk show host Jeff Wagner. Anyhow, the Republican has won by 20 to 21,000 votes. Close contested race out of 3 million votes cast. Further imagine that you have Democrat operatives from all over the country who have swooped in and demanded a recount of votes in Waukesha and Washington and Ozaki County, where either Clayfish or Farrow or Wagner have run up you know, huge sort of totals. And, and the operatives are arguing that all these ballots, which were cast for the Republican candidate, should be tossed out not because they have any evidence to suggest that they weren't legitimately cast. By that I mean <clears throat> that, they weren't, that, that they weren't like made-up ballots, but rather arguing that they should be cast out, they should be tossed out because the absentee ballots were folded. And, of course, every absentee ballot is, is folded. You put it in an envelope, so it has to be folded. Or alternatively, because all the in-person absentee voting um, what happens is, you if you show up in person, all you do is you show your photo ID, you don't fill out a separate application. That only happens if you want to have something sent to you. But if you show up for in-person absentee voting, you, you don't fill out a specific request. You just show up and you say, here I am, here's the information. Um, imagine if all those votes were to be thrown out. Or you have a situation where it is an otherwise legitimate vote. But because the clerk's office had filled in some information on the outside of the envelope, people are trying to have that ballot thrown out. You know, the whole story about the in-person absentee voting, the guy who is running the Trump objections in Dane County, he and his wife actually did the in-person absentee voting, and they didn't fill out any form, so theoretically their votes would have to be thrown out. So imagine if this is going on two years from now, and you have all these Democrat operatives who are making these frivolous claims trying to subvert the the will of the electorate 
Well, if we were having that conversation, I guarantee you, talk radio shows all over the state, and presumably maybe even all over the country, would be up in arms, and people would be absolutely outraged about how dare you try to steal a legitimate election that, that, that's there. And yet that is precisely what we are seeing play out now, where you have <clears throat> no realistic chance of swaying the vote. The, the truth of the matter is they're doing the recount, the recount is going to show essentially an unchanged sort of thing. Uh, you know, President Trump will have lost Wisconsin by a slightly larger margin, by a slightly smaller margin than he won Wisconsin four years ago. But he lost. That, that's just the reality. And Wisconsin isn't the deal breaker, regardless. I mean, <clears throat> the truth is, you know, you, you've got he lost. He lost in Pennsylvania. He's lost in Georgia. You, even if you were somehow able to swing 20,000 votes in Wisconsin, it's not going to change the dynamic. But when I see people who are calling into question the legitimacy of the electoral process and arguing <clears throat> massive that, that huge numbers of votes, tens of thousands of otherwise legitimately cast votes, should be tossed out and otherwise, unless that happens, the election is being stolen. I, I'm sorry, that's, that is bad for this country. It is bad for the state. It is bad for the system. If we're trying to preach this idea that, well, you know, there, there's the, this effort that's going on to steal the election. If you've got evidence of legitimate voter fraud, all right, people who were not allowed to legally vote who did, that's one thing. That's one thing. But this idea that let's throw this out because the ballots were folded. Let's throw these tens of thousands of ballots out because, gee, they didn't make a separate written request, something that nobody does. Candidly, I, I think this hurts democracy. And moving forward, I think it hurts the Republican Party because I guarantee you, number one, this isn't going to work. And number two, it's going to make it more difficult moving forward because I guarantee you this is going to be a tactic that's going to be employed, you know, two years from now, four years from now. If you've got evidence of material fraud, all right, put up or shut up. But this idea that we're going to try to do everything we can to possibly call into question a legitimate election result, I think is bad. I understand. I mean, there's lots of stories out there talking about how a number of clerks, Republican and Democrat clerks, are very, very upset about this because... <clears throat> They're taking the position, hey, we worked really hard. We did our best to follow these rules. We think we ran a largely clean election, and now we're getting all this static. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, but for people who are clinging to this idea that this election in Wisconsin or elsewhere was really stolen and that we need to throw out tens of thousands of otherwise valid cast ballots simply to try to, I, I don't know, do some Hail Mary pass to, to cause Donald Trump to win Wisconsin? I'm sorry. No. Time to move on. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I think what really set me off 
was when I, I see the guy that's responsible for the, heading the, the Trump campaign recall effort who goes in with a straight face and argues that any absentee ballot, in-person absentee, should be thrown out because there's not a separate application. Well, that would be my ballot. That would be my wife's ballot. That would be his ballot. That would be his wife's ballot. Because when you show up to vote in person absentee, you present the evidence, and they give you your ballot. You don't have to fill out something else. But this is how crazy train this stuff has gotten. Another Republican operative arguing all the ballots, any ballot that is folded, should be thrown out. That's every absentee ballot that was filed in the state of Wisconsin. Every one of them because they're folded and they're put in an envelope. I mean, seriously, this is the crazy train stuff that's here, and I refuse to jump on this. I I just do. Plus, by going down this route, what we do is we undermine the integrity of elections for no good reason at all, and we pretty much guarantee moving forward that nobody is going to accept any election result as being legitimate. And how is that good for the country? Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I was uh, I'm not a don't listen to the show much and i happened to turn it on today and i'm so glad i i just heard what you said that everything was done correctly and i believe so you know i believe the same way and i had an instance this weekend a very good friend neighbor for many years and we were having just a phone conversation everything was going fine and then the election came up and i i'm one of those people I don't like to talk about that because that's my right. You know, my father kind of passed it on to me. It's a personal thing. And right. he started poking. And when I, when I basically told him that, you know, I just, I just couldn't make that call, I voted, you know, differently. And he said, yeah. well, you're, you're one of them. And I said, yeah. well, one of who? And I said, one of one of those people who stole the election. Everything you can't tell me that you didn't think that it was stolen. And I yeah. said, no, I, I I can't believe millions of votes were deleted or people right. you know voted that they were dead. And you know, you know how everybody the excuses. And it really was. I took it hard. I'm like, he's still my friend, but you know, I don't know if he'll ever talk to me again. I just couldn't believe that it went from from being that to that when you when you switch that fast. There's something wrong there. Then, he's, then it becomes more like a cult or a fanatic than, you know, well, that's my I, feeling. Well, well, Jim, thanks for I mean, see, the, the frustrating thing I get, when I, when I go down this route, I, it's you're nothing but a rhino. Okay, now you're talking to somebody who ran for office as a Republican 25 years ago, who for the last 23 years on this radio station has been an advocate for common-sense conservative causes, and who, by the way, has also... I talked repeatedly and tried to use whatever limited influence that I might have to try to you know, deal with issues of election security when, when they're there. For example, I'm a big advocate of voter ID. I mean, I remember these, these battles we fought with voter ID. I don't think it is unreasonable to ask people to prove who they are before they cast a ballot. Now, does that mean that there's 
widespread fraud? Well, I, I don't know, but I, I don't think that that's an unreasonable sort of requirement to have out there. So I was a big advocate of this voter ID sort of stuff. But what bothers me is when you have people who are trying to figure out ways to throw out tens of thousands of otherwise legitimately cast ballots because you don't like a, a result. Gee, the ballot was folded. Gee, um, you, you went in, you showed your voter ID, they gave you the ballot, but you didn't file a separate request out, which I, I don't think the law, I'm pretty sure the law doesn't require you to do it, but wh- whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, what do you gain by trying to throw out tens of thousands of otherwise legitimately cast ballots? And, and is that good for the country? And the answer is, the answer is no. That it's it's not good for for the country. And at some point in time, we need to have some sort of a common sense thing to say it's it's time to move on. Now, look, I'm going to be the first to acknowledge that our elections are an an imperfect system. I, I get it. And, you know, people are always going to come up with examples of, well, I heard this report from somebody who said that somebody went into a nursing home and filled out a half dozen ballots for, you know, for the senior citizens, and they didn't really want to vote that way or whatever. And, and, and there might be some merit to that. Well, okay, if that's the case, what happens is, if you've got the evidence of that, you send that evidence over to the district attorney's office and or the U.S. attorney's office, and they investigate. And if there's a situation where there's some fraud, somebody gets prosecuted and that happens every election that you have a handful of examples of fraud that you find but that's different than saying we're going to systematically try to find a a technicality that's really probably not even a technicality to disqualify tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of votes because we don't like an outcome that's the type of stuff that you see in third world banana republics and we cannot allow this country to become that. Elections have consequences. There are winners. There are losers. And we're really, I think, getting into dangerous territory here. Joe in Jackson. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I uh, had an opportunity to drive down Mayfair Road around uh, just before noon on Saturday, uh, this past Saturday. And there was a Trump rally related to, I guess they were protesting um, what they consider to be some conspiracy to suppress right. the vote or steal the election. Was, right, was, stop the know, steal, I yep. Actually, yeah, I, I, uh, I pulled over and I actually had, I, I spoke to a couple people, and people who seemed educated, people who seemed, you know, like any in any other aspect, you know, normal, reasonable people, but they were yelling about how this election was stolen and how this is, there's this mass conspiracy against Trump, and it, 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 it was embarrassing. I mean, it really was embarrassing when I when I listened to them. And I, I had I, I just it was I didn't know what to say. I just was kind of looking at them like, are you crazy? Well, it is like, look, where do you think that this is is going? Oh, th- thanks for the call. I mean, it's look, it, it's one thing to argue we, we want to recount. And, and, and that's. That's fine, but let's be honest here. That's not what's going on here. What's happening is we we know the recount isn't going to change votes. That's just, you know, we've had statewide recounts before, and at most you get a couple hundred votes that might swing one way or the other. What's happening is 
you have the, the Trump campaign that is trying to set up legal challenges. What they want to do is they want to go into court and they want to try to say, hey, we, um, we just allowed all these absentee ballots that uh, didn't have an application, application request or all these ballots were folded, so we want to throw them out. And they want to try to get that to the Supreme Court, hoping that the Supreme Court is somehow going to invalidate the results of uh, election results in Wisconsin and Arizona and Nevada and Pennsylvania and Georgia. It's just this flight of fancy. And so it's not just this whole idea of a recount. It's this sort of let's see if we can try to overturn an election result. The other point that I go back to all the time is if this was really an election that was being stolen, right, then, then, then why weren't people better at it? I, I mean, seriously, if you believe the polls, this was going to be a Democrat landslide, the, the blue wave, and it didn't work out that way. Republicans are picking up seats in the House. Republicans are going to hold control of, of the Senate, or at least, you know, unless Republicans screw this up with this silliness in Georgia that costs them a seat or two in the Senate. But, you know, Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Republicans extended the, the number of seats they have in the state Senate, and they still have like 61 seats in the Assembly. I mean, this was an incredible, successful election, other than the fact that President Trump lost. And, and yes, that's just the reality. And so, yeah, I understand you, you want to have the recount. That's fine. But let's be honest. That's not what this is about. Nobody involved in that recount thinks seriously that it's the numbers are going to change. What this is is an attempt to try to create legal issues to throw out tens of thousands of otherwise valid ballots. And my point is, that's just not a route we want to go down. And as somebody who has argued for election integrity for the last 20-plus years, if you can show me examples of widespread voter fraud, and that by that I mean... We've got bags of ballots that were, you know, <clears throat> mailed in 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 Milwaukee that <clears throat> can't be traced to existing people. Okay, these are just fakes. You know, some somebody got a giant, a, you know, got thousands of, of ballots and just indiscriminately filled them out and sent them in. Okay, if if there's any sort of evidence of that, well, well, then we can talk. But there's no evidence of that, and everybody knows there's no evidence of that. So for people who are going through this process, okay, the the bottom line is at some point in time you've got to be willing to move on. But fomenting all this belief that oh, the election system, the elections were stolen, and this is not a legitimate result. Be careful with that, because like I say, it's going to come back and bite you in the butt two years from now when your guy or gal wins a very closely contested statewide election. And I'm sorry that some people don't like to hear that. And I understand that there's some people who just want to be told that this election has been stolen and that the Biden campaign is it's not legitimate and what we have to do is refuse to accept them and mobilize and send money into Donald Trump and let's continue this going on. And if that's if that's how you want to spend your money, that's fine. You, you get to do it. But promote the idea that this is it's a fraudulent election and that the election was being stolen and that the only way we can have election integrity is to take tens of thousands of legitimately cast ballots and toss them out. Well, okay, we can do better. We need to do better. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning. So about about midnight, Saturday night, Sunday morning, 68th and Capitol. 
a two-car crash that left two people dead. Apparently what happened is 26-year-old guy driving west on Capitol Drive, two female passengers. The guy is driving at a high rate of speed. There's a female, 21-year-old female, driving alone north on 68th Street. So the guy's driving out Capitol, um, heading west on Capitol, and then you've got the woman who's driving north on 68th Street. Uh, male, the guy, is driving at a high rate of speed. The two collide in the intersection. And as often happens in these situations, you have a fatality. The, the man is dead. The female driver of her car, she's dead. There's two female passengers in the car driven by the guy that was heading west on Capitol. They are seriously injured, but they're taken to the hospital. They believe they're going to survive. But you have another one of these situations where people are dead because, again, people, I don't know if the guy blew the red light or or what, but he's driving at a high rate of speed. My guess is he did not have the right of way. But you have this this horrific accident where people end up, you know, dying because of this. Now, it pains me to say this because my position on this has evolved, but that's okay. One of the reasons why you have the the large numbers of fatalities that, that we have, it's excessive speed, but it's also it's also collisions in intersections. It's things exactly like this, where you've got some yo-yo that's driving at a high rate of speed, runs a red light or, or whatever, and slams into a, a car that has the right of way, and people end up being dead. In the state of Wisconsin, now hear me out on this, in the state of Wisconsin, we have more uh, roundabouts. Yes, yes, we have more roundabouts of any state on our state highway system. Uh, We are tops in Wisconsin. And the philosophy is to build more of these roundabouts. Now, I mean, everybody knows what a roundabout is. You come up to the situation where instead of having like a four-way stop sign or instead of having a series of red lights, you know, everybody kind of merges in them. I will be the first to tell you that I find roundabouts to be annoying, and I I do, maybe it's just because I I don't drive through them that much, I always have to be particularly conscious of, okay, what lane do I want to be in, and things like that. But here's the reality. If you have roundabouts, your chances of having a fatal collision goes down to almost zero. Why? Because you can't be driving 80 miles an hour, blow through a red light, and hit another car if you're going into a, ra- into a roundabout. It's just not how things happen. So can you have fender benders? Yes, you, you can have fender benders. Can you have minor injuries? Yes, you, you certainly can. Maybe you can even argue that you have more fender benders or, or minor situations because people don't know how to drive in roundabouts. But there is no question from the perspective of serious Injury, loss of life, and serious damage to vehicles. You're much better off going through roundabouts than you are dealing with, again, the the four-way stop signs or the controlled intersections. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you would have listened to the program 10 years ago or or asked me about this, I, I would have told you, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure that roundabouts are the way to go because well, people don't know how to drive in them. They've got to slow down, et cetera, et cetera. Having said that, and looking at the carnage that we have going on the roadways, though, 
I have to tell you, I, I'm really changing my thinking on this, and I think that the communities, the more communities make the decision to go with the roundabouts, particularly in some of these intersections that are particularly prone to problems, I think the better off that we're going to be. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I said, 68th and Capitol, Saturday night, Sunday morning. If that had been a roundabout instead of what it was, my guess is those people that were involved in that automobile accident would still be alive today. Now, it might be a little bit of a pain in the butt, and I understand it's not practical to put them in everywhere, but the more I think about this, the more I think this is just something that ends up making sense and that there's no reason not to do it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, if you listen to my program 10 years ago and we were talking about roundabouts, I would say, what's the State Department of Transportation doing? But, you know, as I look at story after story of fatal automobile crash, a lot of which are caused by people blowing through intersections at high rates of speed and, you know, smashing cars in their side, the bottom line is roundabouts save lives roundabouts keep insurance costs down because the automobile damage is a lot less. And I guess I've just become sort of born again hard when it comes to this stuff. I, I think that we need to have more of them, not fewer, not less. Mike and Franklin. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Well, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. And I, I Hi, agree with you. If you'd asked me a year and a half ago, I was 100 or maybe two years ago, 180 degrees where I am now. I was opposed to the roundabout. And they put one in at 51st and Drexel, right near the high school there. And I live west of the the intersection on Drexel. And I I was like, why are they doing this? You know, you had a stop sign. And if you came up to that stop sign when school let out at 2.30, it used to take, you know, 15, 20 minutes to get through that intersection. Well, now with the roundabout, you're in and out even when school is letting out. You know, there's no waiting. There's no line. And it is safer. I'd say initially there was some accidents. You know, sure. people learn, and you got to learn to slow down. But uh, there have been—I have not heard of any, anyway—accidents recently, or haven't seen any in the last couple of years. Now, I'll also say that COVID has changed how the school is operating. But yeah. that roundabout was put in before this, before COVID, and the first semester, right. it, it was night and day. And and so I really appreciate the roundout roundabouts and can see how they can save time right. and actually reduce accidents. So, yeah, well, right. and, 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 and even if there is an accident, Mike, I mean, even if there is one, it, it's not going to be a, a massive one. You, you're not going to be able to. So, OK, so you, you might have somebody that's in the wrong lane and sideswipe somebody else's car. And then you, you've got a dent or, you know, you've got a couple thousand dollars in insurance claim. That's different than some sort of catastrophic collision where all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people who are dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and most of them right. that one, because it's only one lane or bumper, you know, one somebody runs into somebody's rear end is usually what it is so and it's at a lower right. speed so you know right thanks for the call. no i appreciate it. i mean again and again i i i'm I, my position is is modulating on this cuz like i said i mean i still 
around where I live, I don't have to go through that many roundabouts. Now, there's a couple areas that I, I travel, and I, you know you're coming up to these things, and I always have to concentrate on them. And I guess maybe if I drove them more, I'd feel more comfortable in them. But nevertheless, you've got to pay attention to this. And I, I understand that you always have to worry about, okay, what lane I'm going to be in and, and making sure that you're yielding and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I, I think it's something that makes stuff makes it a lot safer for all of us. Jim in Cedarburg. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you? So, well, well, Jeff, thank you. Um, I worked at Milwaukee Public Schools for 32 years, of which 25 I did drive right on the side tracks. Yeah. Change whatnot. And we get the crash district from NHTSA, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, every year. Right. And Wisconsin's accidents went down significantly from 500 a year to like 300. So I don't know. You can pick up the stats, but it was. That was one of the main issues. Why? Because any accidents that would occur around about, that's very huge, just like you pointed out on the show, they're glancing blows. There's no more, you know, um, front impact into a driver's side door to kill somebody. So Milwaukee also right. always published the 10 most dangerous intersections in the journal every year. You know, and where this one, this fatal is, everybody knows that that intersection there. <clears throat> 68th and Capitol, 76th and Capitol, they're extremely dangerous just because of the number of teenagers that live in the area and how wild traffic is around there. Right. Personally, I think right. we ought to identify the 10 most dangerous intersections in Milwaukee and put roundabouts at all of them. So thanks for bringing this to the attention of the no. public. It needs more attention. Well, well, thanks for the call, Jim. I appreciate it. And now, look, I, I'm, and I get, I'm getting a number of texts from people who are saying, well, Jeff, this isn't, it, it's not going to be an ultimate solution. There, there's still going to be people who are going to drive recklessly, and, and you're still going to have traffic fatalities. And, and look, and I, I understand that. I mean, there, there's, no, I, I, there, there's no sort of magic bullet that's out there that, that guarantees that stuff is, that you, you can suddenly make sure people don't die on, on the freeways or on the roads. I, I understand that. But to me, it's all about trying to do what, what makes sense. And I guess, I, again, I, I got set off because I'm looking at this story the other night, just a, a senseless death. You know, a 26-year-old guy blows through, I think, a red light, you know, hits a 21-year-old woman. These people are both dead. It's just a senseless thing. And if there had been a roundabout, my argument is, in all likelihood, they would not be in the morgue. Now, if the guy was speeding or, or whatever, would there have still been an accident? Yes, absolutely. But it wouldn't have had the result that it had. 855-616-1620. Mike in Paddock Lake. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Afternoon, Jeff. Um, I'm a law enforcement officer in southeast Wisconsin. I've seen some of the worst accidents and fatalities ever. And you got to think about it like this. When you're going through a roundabout, you're paying attention. You have to. You're looking left. You're looking right. You're watching for cars. You can't just blindedly go through a roundabout. Whenever I pass through roundabouts in Oshkosh or the ones in New Berlin, you never see police around them on accidents because accidents don't happen. Think about what we right. have in Milwaukee County. These major thoroughfares, Highway 100 in Greenfield, Highway 100 North, these are three-lane wide you could fly through these things. You're trying to beat the red light. You're buzzing through the red light. It's an open runway for speed. That's why we're having these major crashes that usually end up in fatalities. We need roundabouts in these intersections. The problem is the cost of them and also semis getting through them. And a lot of well, right. people don't know how to drive through them. Yep. Now, and, and you make a good point, Mike, with some of the – 
there, there are problems, particularly some of them are, are too narrow. Um, they, they need to be a little bit wider for the trucks because you're, you're, you're exactly right. It's the, the, when the trucks are going through that, that, that's kind of an issue. And so I'm not saying that they're perfect, but to your point, I, I think it's a, lot, it's a safer alternative, and it's something that I think we should be definitely exploring moving forward. It'll, it'll reduce high speeds on these highly traveled large roads just yeah. because you can't go through them like that. Yeah, exactly. Hey, thanks for the call. No, that, that's exactly right, and, and that's that's the key. And no, look, and again, I I know it's not the ultimate solution, and and I know a number of people are saying, well, Jeff, this is 68th and Capitol. Capitol Drive is the wild, wild west. You know, it, it's just you know, there, there's no speeding enforcement. This type of stuff happens all the time there. And, and yeah, I, I get it. I, I understand. But you do kind of go back and you say, all right, if. If we had more roundabouts in some of these heavily traveled areas, is it possible that you could reduce even recognizing that you're going to have some people that are going to be driving irresponsibly? Is it possible that they could you know, reduce the, the dangerous driving thing. Jeff, I think roundabouts are just the start. Wisconsin should also look into more diverging diamond intersections for large multi-lane intersections. By design, these reduce speed and reduce cross traffic. They've got a couple of them in Appleton. Um, Jeff, if you spent even an hour driving around that part of town, um, <clears throat> I would like to think that you would think that they would work. Well, I, I think so. Uh, Jeff, two-lane roundabouts are suicide for people to try to pass on the inside lane of a semi. That's my biggest gripe for them. Well, I, I mean, again, I, I do not recall, and I guess somebody can send me a, a story <clears throat> that, that will convince me otherwise, but I don't recall a, a situation where I see people dying in collisions and roundabouts. Now, again, are you going to have fender benders? Are you going to have cars that are sideswiped? Yeah, I mean, and I can easily see that. Like I say, with trucks, you do have an issue, especially with some of the roundabouts that aren't built wide enough to comfortably handle the, the, the trucks. But I... I, I Again, I'm not saying it's never happened, but you just don't hear stories about fatalities in roundabouts. Um, Jeff, I'm a big fan of roundabouts. They work perfectly. It slows down traffic when cars come into the roundabouts. I think we should have more of them. Jeff, I live just off Capitol. Capitol Drive is a freeway speed zone for most of the way. Anybody that lives there, uh, people who drive that don't care about speed limits, stoplights, or people or lives. Well, okay, th- That might be a possibility. That's all the more reason, though, to have a roundabout because, like I say, it's going to slow you down a little bit. Jeff, it isn't practical to control traffic throughout the city with a roundabout. It's expensive to build them. They clog traffic, and we would need uh, far too many of them. Well, it's actually, it might be expensive to build them, but actually they're they're cheaper to operate because once you have the roundabout in place, you don't have to worry about replacing the the stoplight, for example, or or things like that. Look, I, I know this isn't a magic bullet, and I'm not arguing that, that it is. All I'm saying is I think we need to be open to this. And 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have had a different position. I still don't like driving through them, especially when you have one after another after another. But the truth of the matter is, if you have roundabouts, what I think is your chances of being involved in a fatal automobile crash go down dramatically. And at the end of the day, shouldn't that be what this is all about? So... We will see. I don't know that they're going to start building a lot more in the city of Milwaukee, but maybe it's something that they should be thinking about. All right. 
When we come back, next hour of the program, we continue to go where um, angels fear to tread. One of the other big developments of the last couple days is that Kyle Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old who is charged with the shooting of the three men in Kenosha, two fatalities, he made bail. $2 million was posted on his behalf, and he's now bailed out. Somebody had sent me a note over the weekend saying, well, you know, it wasn't $2 million. It was just 10% of $2 million. No, it was $2 million. Um, supporters put up $2 million. He's got a preliminary hearing on December 3rd. I want to talk about how the Rittenhouse case is playing out and whether or not you're buying some of the things that are out there, namely that he is a victim and that uh, this was a clear-cut case of self-defense. And this is the week of Thanksgiving. Travel is expected to be down, but even in an era of COVID, um, there's still going to be a lot of people taking to the roadways. We're going to discuss whether that's responsible. So all that stuff is coming up. Another hour of the Wagner Show right around the corner. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. This is a matter that will go to trial sometime in the course of of the next year. And I don't know that it's going to be the trial of the year or the trial of the century or the trial of the decade, but it's certainly going to be a case that's going to be closely watched by people from all different political persuasions. And I'm talking about the situation of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was the then 17-year-old kid in Kenosha, who has now been accused of fatally shooting two 26-year-olds and wounding a 22-year-old with an AR-15 rifle during a demonstration last August 25th. Now, you, everybody remembers, of course, what happened. You had the, the shooting of, of Jacob Blake. You had the rioting that ensued in Kenosha. And candidly, it was, I think, a failure of law enforcement, a failure of the governor to appreciate how out of control things had gotten in Kenosha for those first two nights. You had 30 buildings that were burned down. You had widespread destruction, all because law enforcement was essentially unprepared. Well, by the third night, law enforcement had kind of gotten its act together. There was more of a National Guard presence. Um, Things were much more under control, but they'd been out of control for the first couple nights. The problem was that you had a number of and, and, you know, you can describe these people how, how you want. You can say vigilantes, you could say patriots, whatever. You had a number of people who decided to come to Kenosha in response to the protests and set up in their effort to try to protect buildings from further destruction and things of the like. <clears throat> and you can question again what the motives were, but that's the deal. <clears throat> so here's the situation. We all know Kyle Rittenhouse is a 17-year-old. He, he comes over the border. He's in Kenosha at the time. He's got an AR-15 rifle that he's not legally allowed to carry. And at one point in time, he ends up getting into the, the middle of the crowd. So I think we would all, I think, hopefully agree that it's not a good idea for a 17-year-old at midnight to be wandering through a crowd of protesters with a, an armed rifle, right? 
everybody's a little bit unclear on the circumstances, but he ends up getting into one or more confrontations with people. And at one point in time, he, well, over the course of a few minutes, he ends up shooting three people. After he shoots the first person, people try to disarm him. He's then being chased. And at one point in time, there's a guy with a skateboard that tries to knock him over to disarm him. He shoots that person as well. This has become, like I say, a a huge cause celeb. For some people, he's being viewed as a a white supremacist who was there to shoot people. On the other hand, he's also being viewed from some people as, oh, this guy's just a patriot, and all he was doing is doing what people in Kenosha wanted him to do, and he was in a situation where he was doing what law enforcement was unable to do themselves, which is protect people's property. Now, in Wisconsin... The law is that you can shoot a person in self-defense if you reasonably believe that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to yourself to yourself. In other words, a man can fire to repel a serious threat, but can't kill somebody who's throwing pebbles at them. Um, Several attorneys said that, you know, part of the thing is, too, that you can't provoke attacks. The law says that a person who engages in unlawful conduct of a type likely to provoke others to attack him or her can't make a valid claim of self-defense unless you've exhausted every other means to escape and avoid the problem. So in other words, if you're the one that precipitates the situation and then somebody comes forward and tries to disarm you, you can't say, oh, it's self-defense and I'm going to shoot him. Well, Kyle Rittenhouse has been in custody, a $2 million bond. He bailed out on Friday afternoon, and he's now free. There's a preliminary hearing scheduled for December 3rd, and my guess is the trial, he, he will be bound over for trial. And the trial is going to probably be scheduled sometime I would guess in the first quarter of 2021, might get delayed a little bit, but it seems to me that this is a matter where it's definitely going to trial. I can't see the district attorney's office dismissing the charges. I can't see the defendant agreeing to plead guilty to anything. So, I mean, it's pretty much an all-or-nothing type of thing. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think under the circumstances, this is going to be a pretty tough case for self-defense. But at the same time, I understand that there's a lot of people out there who view Kyle Rittenhouse as a hero. He's the guy that was standing up to these out-of-control rioters, and that the people who confronted him that night, well, they got what they deserved. Now, I understand there's some people who are saying that. I'm not necessarily one of them, and like I say, I think this is a tough case for self-defense. But knowing what we know now, and again, it's all got to play out in the court of law, right? how do you see this case? Is he a hero, or is he somebody unjustly accused, a young man caught up in circumstances um, way above his pay grade and over his head, or is this somebody who deserves to be prosecuted because he killed two people and injured a third? 855-616-1620. How are you looking at the Rittenhouse case? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. I, I will tell you that in an era where if you wonder if stuff could possibly be more divisive, this Rittenhouse case is, is going to, I mean, it's going to take the charts because there's, it is off the charts. People look at this and it really is one, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I, people see this in one of two ways. It's either the kid's a hero, this was self-defense, or the, the kid, you know, was uh, just there with a gun, shouldn't have been there, and, and murdered a couple people in cold blood. 855-616-1620. I can't believe a double murder charge gets bail. As a former prosecutor, have you ever heard of bail for a double murder charge? Well, the question is, is he a danger and is he a flight risk? And so I, I don't think they thought that he was going to make $2 million in bail, but he did. Jeff, the kid was brainwashed from militia-type groups and our wonderful president of the United States felt he could go down there and use the riots as an excuse to kill people. Um, Jeff, Rittenhouse and other militia members never cared about property in Kenosha. They were there to see if they could liberally, uh, legally shoot somebody. Um, Jeff, let's see. Um, he should not have been there, especially with any type of gun. Unfortunately, he was, and now he needs to go through the process and learn an unforgettable lesson. Jeff, this is self-defense. Rittenhouse was threatened with a firebomb, a gun, and a skateboard to the head. None of the people involved, including him, should have been there. I'm surprised more criminal protesters were not killed or hurt. Jeff, he's not a hero. He was 17 years old. He could not legally possess the gun he was using. Can't even legally buy ammunition. Might be a different story if he was on the property. He was there to protect, but he was not. He was from outside the area. He should not have been there. Jeff, kid's a hero. Um, It was a riot. He was defending himself. Um, interesting. 855-616-1620. Jeff, it's a bad situation all around. I live in Kenosha. I've never been more embarrassed to say that I'm from there than due to those two or three days. Families were afraid, rioters burning buildings down with apartments above it, and the governor nowhere to be seen. This is what happens when you allow anarchy. People push back, and some things, unfortunately, happened. All right, Jeff, how can anyone get a fair trial when they are tried in the media? <clears throat> well, okay, Here, here's the, but before we take the phone calls, let me, let me just say this. Uh, th- that is a two-way street. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse has very, very savvy media lawyers who have used him as, as a cause celeb to have raised millions of dollars. So I I always say the guy who puts up the tent can't complain about the size of the circus. So I'm I'm sorry, do do I understand? Do I think some people, sometimes people get unfairly tried in the media? Yeah, I, I do that. But this is a situation where Rittenhouse's lawyers are clearly... Um, they're, they're using the media to try to raise money for his defense and to advance his cause. So I, I, I don't think he's a victim of unfair media coverage. Like I say, I think his lawyers are, are exploiting media interest in this. Okay, 855-616-1620. How is this going to work out? Let's talk to Jim in Illinois. Jim, you're first. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi. Um, let me start here. He across yeah. the state line. He illegally obtained a rifle and ammunition. He knew what he was doing because he had someone else buy the rifle and ammunition for him. So he knew it was wrong there. Uh, you don't go at 10 o'clock at night with an assault rifle to shoot squirrels or rabbits. He was looking for trouble. He claims somebody, a business, hired him 
that business claimed he didn't hire anybody, right. especially he did not hire Rittenhouse. So Rittenhouse is lying about that. So I have a carry a concealed com, uh, concealed permit, a nine millimeter. If I had been in the vicinity, I would have perceived that as a lethal threat like the guys that attacked him and tried to disarm him. You read about these wackos and terrorists all the time last year or so, uh, shooting people, uh, assault targets. That's, you don't know what, that you, those guys perceived him as that, and that's what I would have, and I would have defended myself, and I would have used my uh, p- pistol to eliminate that threat. Mm-hmm. But I think he'd be getting to second or third degree. I don't think he'd be able to get uh, first degree. But I think okay, good. Third oh. is possible. Okay. Well, thanks for calling, Jim. I mean, I, Jim. I mean, it's it, it. These are going to all be a very, very fact-specific sort of thing. Now, like I say, that's why we started off this conversation. That you, you can only use, you can only shoot somebody in self-defense if you believe that the force is necessary to prevent imminent death to your yourself. And you can't engage in the conduct that promote provokes it in the first place. To me, that's going to be, I think, the, the biggest that's going to be the biggest problem that Rittenhouse is going to have with the self defense thing, which is did his behavior uh, did, did it provoke the, the response? Okay, so if you if you shoot somebody, all right, I mean and let let's just I, I throw this out there just in a theoretical sort of thing. So if you and some friends are walking down the street and you see somebody shoot somebody else and then you decide, hey, we're going to try to disarm this guy. We just watched him shoot somebody. We're going to try to disarm him um, so he doesn't shoot other people. All right, then the question becomes, does that give him carte blanche to shoot you too because you're trying to disarm him to stop him from I mean, shooting more folks? That's going to be one of the tough issues that's out there. 855-616-1620. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. That was a cold-blooded murder, man. There's no way. This... Hello? Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yeah, you're on the okay, air. Go ahead. We can hear you. Okay, that's cold-blooded murder, I think. I, I, you know, first, he had no business over here. Second off, uh, no one was attacking him with, like, a weapon or a gun. You know, I, I don't know how he's going to get out of this. And if he do, I hope the courts are ready to, you know, to defend everyone else that just goes out shooting people for no reason at all. And the guy that spent that two, that $2 million, you know, with all this pandemic out here, I think he could have used that money by helping, you know, uh, someone with that pandemic to try to get a cure. Well, thanks for the call, John. You, as long as he shows up for trial, you get the $2 million back. I mean, that's that's the thing. that The $2 million is to assure that you're going to show up for trial. And candidly, I, I don't think he's a... I don't think he's a risk to run. My my guess is he, he's. I mean, I guess I, I've. I mean, I guess I've, I've seen people that I thought were going to show up and they do take off. I where, where's he going to go? He, he's going to show up, and his attorneys are going to mount a, a vigorous defense, um, arguing that this was a self defense situation. All I'm saying is I I, I think it's tough for self-defense, given the fact that he put himself in these circumstances. Let, let me just say this. This is a tragedy. And, and you know, we're going to talk about this over the course of the, the next several months. But there's there's no winners here. I, I mean, I think it's I think it's it's sad 
that law enforcement lost control of the situation in Kenosha that provoked or, or prompted some people to think that we need to take matters into our own hands. I think it's unfortunate that people decided that they were going to take matters into their own hands. And I'm sorry, under no way, shape, or form do I think it's a good idea for a 17-year-old to be <clears throat> wandering streets in the middle of a riot with an AR-15 rifle. That, that's just, it is a recipe for disaster. And a matter of fact, I mean, I remember the interview I did a couple weeks ago with Kenosha County Sheriff David Beth, and he'll, he'll say the same thing. The really frustrating thing is, as out of control as Kenosha was the first two nights, the, the law enforcement had gotten their act together by the third night. There was no reason at all for defenders, vigilantes, whatever, to be out on the streets the third night. And unfortunately, this was predictable. 855-616-1620, Larry in Lake Geneva. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Hi, Larry. Yeah, um, what do you think? I agree with most everything that's been said, you know, and I agree. He had no business going there, you know. Uh, he was looking for a fight. No one goes to a riot with an AR-15. That's... <laughs> Not looking for a friend. So I've lost some lifelong friends because of this, because they they think this guy's a hero. And, you know, I I don't see it that way at all. I think uh, he's going to, you know, I don't think he deserves maybe life in prison, but maybe the families Mm -hmm. with the dead dead people might think he should, you know. Um, I just think it Mm -hmm. never should have happened if he would have stayed home like most 17-year-olds should. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. I've got a text here, and I mean, I just I throw this out there for sake of discussion. Ever been hit in the head with a skateboard? It is. It could be a deadly weapon. <clears throat> okay, well, but but you got to got to keep up the context here. Let's assume again that you see somebody walking down the street in front of your house, and that person you just you watch them shoot somebody in cold blood. Just work with my example for a minute, and you decide. I'm, I'm not going to let this person just get away. I'm going to go try to take him out. I, I mean, I don't want him to kill other people. So you grab a golf club or a skateboard or whatever, and you go after him to try to disarm him because they've got a gun. And then they turn and they shoot you. Well, okay, was that is that self-defense? Is that a legitimate example of self-defense? Yes, you're, you're, you're trying to hit him. You're trying to disarm him after they've shot somebody else. These are all the kind of law school tests that's going to play out in a very, very real fashion. And... I don't know how I, I don't know how a jury is going to decide this. It's going to be very controversial. There's going to be some people that are going to always view him as a hero. I guess I look at this and say there's no heroes here. There, there really aren't. It's an unfortunate situation all around. I think it's a tough case for self-defense, but time will tell. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around.